everyone. This is Catherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 359. And tonight we are recapping Lore Olympus. We are starting on episode 239, which is available right now for free on the Webtoons app. And then we're going to jump straight into 240, which is only available if you're fast passing. And I would like to say for the record that I kind of called it with this one because we had all of this forward momentum about, you know, the Apollo storyline and all sorts of stuff going on in the last two episodes. And this one was very focused on one thing, which I'm sure is important, but we didn't get any more information about the things that I really want to hear about. Yeah, it turns out this dream dive that Persephone is going to do with uh, Morpheus is a test run. So it is designed to not move the story forward at all. It's just rehashing some things. But I think it was interesting. And of course, the artwork is very nice. But gorgeous. The first episode is basically... Persephone, you know, Hades is worried, but Persephone says it's going to be fine. Hecate goes through what the goals are, which is what they're trying to do eventually is to get into Kronos's dreams because they can't get to him physically, but they also want to try to rescue the young child god that's there. But they have to be careful because they don't know what if this god ends up being something like Eris and just like a force of chaos But anyway, it's all, you know, so Persephone goes in and talks with Morpheus about what the goals are and how this is going to work and everything. And it's all a lot of exposition, I think. Yeah. And she sees brief images of her mother. She's like, well, that's not what I'm looking for. She sees a brief image of her and Hades. She's like, oh, this is from the other night. But uh, that's nice. But I can't stay here either. And I'm sure all the readers are like, no. But yeah, she continues moving forward in the dark. And there's this huge, like, as usual, she's saying, oh, this isn't so hard after all. I think I'm getting the hang of it. Oh, you don't want to do that. Yeah, that's, of course, when something jumps her. Yeah. And she gets yanked into a different direction. And then she's, she's looking around in a panic. And then she sees... It looks like Hades is a child, like what we saw with him when he was, you know, captured inside of Kronos. But I don't know if she knows that's who it is. Or, I mean, do you think she does? I mean, we'll probably get to that at the end of the second episode, because there's something a little odd going on there. But yeah, she's trying to get to this child, and she's saying, tell me what your name is. And then suddenly, she looks up, and it's Kronos. And now she's in a memory of when she was fighting Kronos in the underworld. Yeah. He says something like, I don't know, did you think it would be that easy, bitch, or something like that? And I don't know, it's, I think that is actually Kronos in the dream realm, right? I mean, is that... I don't know, because she says, she might have said here, and I know she says at the end of the second episode, that it was the interloper that dragged her into another part of the dream, and then Kronos kicked her out of whatever it was when she was trying to reach the little godchild. So it's either Kronos or it's a memory of Kronos. Because didn't he say that when she was fighting him? Didn't he say, did you think it was going to be that easy? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I really don't remember. <laughs> it's been a while. But yeah, so he kicks her out of that area and she doesn't see the child anymore, but she sees something else. And she talks about how this is right after she had eaten the pomegranate seeds and how she knows that gods can't die. But at that moment, it hurts so badly. She was kind of questioning that fact. And then you see this figure standing in front of her. And it's definitely a, a very skeletal, you know, crazy sort of stylized figure. 
And it says something like, I knew I would see you eventually. And then that's the end of the episode. Yeah. And we start the next episode. And it turns out Persephone is talking to Erebus, the person, Mm -hmm. the entity that Hades had made the agreement with when he became uh, ruler of the underworld. And I do love how Rachel chose to draw Erebus. And he's just, he's this shifting stack of skeletons. Yes. But also these like neon glowing lines that are in like parallel and almost part of it kind of reminded me of the monolith from 2001, that sense yeah. of this like towering scale. And sometimes it looks like Erebus is sort of like looking over a wall or something like that. So it's all yeah. very, very psychedelic and surreal. And yes. Persephone is trying to make a deal with Erebus for power because she needs to save everybody. And in case you've forgotten, this is all a memory. This is not actually happening right now. She is remembering what happened right before she goes into battle with Kronos. And she is saying, you know, I ate the pomegranate. And it says, you ate nine seeds. She says, is that enough to give me authority here? And he says, yes, but he still has to take something from her. And as we've been told before, she can't know what it's going to take because it's part of the uncertainty is what makes it such a valuable trade. And she says yes, right away. And I think even Erebus is a little surprised that she doesn't even have to question it. And she says, well, it's, it's just an easy decision because she has mm-hmm. to save everybody. And another wonderful picture is Erebus. And you see he's like reaching past that wall looking shape, but it's like several of his skeletons are all reaching out their arms as he says, come closer. And that's just, oh, that that whole sort of looming bit is really, really well done. So she takes his, its hand and there's a, there's an exchange in this conversation. I'm not entirely sure. They sort of explain it later on in the episode, but it's the idea that I don't know, he's going to give her power, but the power that she gains to defeat Kronos mm-hmm. in the end is really a one-time deal. And there's more she's going to have to do. And he says something like, I don't give gifts, but at this moment I will reward you. I, I felt that exchange was just maybe a little confusing. Yeah, I had to read it the second time. He's rewarding her because she is a fertility goddess and she could live, he says, you could live your entire life with your face pointed to the sun but you won't abandon the source of all life. So mm-hmm. she loves the underworld and Erebus knows that. And that's why he rewards her with that one-time gift of power. So no, it is, I mean, cause I've always been hoping if Persephone ever ran into Apollo again, she could just go into that God mode like she did before. No, that's not really possible. No. However, I mean, even before she made a deal with Erebus, she had the potential to go all huge and crazy big. And so maybe not as big as defeating Kronos big, but still pretty big. But yeah, he he says something like, I'll I'll give you the ability to find your strength yourself. So she apparently still has some more growing to do, I guess. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, he still doesn't explain what it is that he's taken away from her. And believe me, the commenters are going crazy at this point because of the bit with the nine seeds, because everybody's terrified that what it means is that she's going to spend nine months in the mortal realm and three months in the underworld and won't be able to see Hades during those nine months. Ah. Like, Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Ugh, I don't know what kind of world has three months of winter and then nine months of spring. Yeah. But I would have thought it'd been a little bit more of an even exchange because wasn't it six seeds in the original myth? Something like that. I remember it wasn't 
it wasn't more than half. And some people pointed out that it could be the three seeds are spring because spring is about three months. So for those three months, she has to go and take care of spring up there. And that would be acceptable. I'd be fine with that. Yeah, but he he tells her that the underworld, but the chthonic is the word and chthonic Mm. your destiny. And Mm. she is the underworld. So there's not going to be any taking away of her link to the underworld. So I found some comfort in that. And of course, all the pictures are just beautiful and flowing and she becomes very ghostly. And there's this picture where she's like floating uh, close to Erebus's face, and she says something like, "Is it done? Can I save everyone now?" And I thought, "Oh, just so beautiful, just absolutely beautiful." But he's sort of sending her on her way, and he says, "Oh, and Persephone, don't forget your glove." And that's where we stop seeing her point of view. We're back in with Hades sort of looking over the whole procedure and Hades talking to himself and he's thinking, you know, this is hard. I'm having to balance like being a husband with being a king because he knows all this has to happen. But he'd do anything to sort of change places with her. I'm not sure exactly why it was her who went in there. Is it just because he's a king and the king can't go in there? I mean, she is the queen. Why is she the one taking the risk? Not that I think that's bad. I mean, she could definitely take the risk. I'm just wondering... Why can't he? Well, um, Hecate referred to this as Dream Dive 1.2. So Mm. Persephone already went into dreams with Morpheus when she was trying to get some kind of advantage over Kronos and um, set Hades free. So maybe that's it, just because Mm. she and Morpheus have kind of done this before. I did. It it was very fast, the decision that they're going to be doing this. I. I don't know if Rachel was deliberately trying to make this rush to keep everybody off balance or if she just wants to get to other things and she's like, okay, let's go ahead and do this right now. So I don't know. Yeah, could could be either way. Yeah, so Hades is sort of, like I said, pondering to himself because the other thing that he would really want to be doing is figuring out this whole thing with Luce, who is the crazy nymph who thinks that they have this connection. He's like, I've got to handle this. I mean, I have no idea what she was talking about, which confirms that the whole thing about, oh, you sent me all those letters. He has no idea what she's talking about. But he also is like, did... Persephone hear that conversation and all the commenters I'm sure are going we don't know we want to know that too so once she wakes up and they go to debrief the whole situation there's a pause and we get to my favorite part of the two episodes oh yes so you see Thetis's phone ring and it's loose and Thetis's thought at that point is oh aren't you dead yet so she really mm-hmm. does want Persephone to murder this chick oh yeah but she picks it up. She's like, hi, how you doing? And she's doing something off screen. You can see like her arm is kind of shaking a little bit. And Luce is kind of like, she doesn't know what to do. She said, everybody left. And then he says, oh, I can't seduce him for you. And then you hear somebody <laughs> say, hey, you're not supposed to be here. And all this time we've been seeing these big signs and barbed wire. And Thaddeus is kind of out there in the dark. And then you pull back and she's standing at the edge of water and she's holding her son by the ankle. And there's a gigantic sign behind her that says, absolutely no dunking mortals in the river sticks to make them invincible. (laughs) She just smiling into the phone, got to go. So that was great. Oh, my God. That is such a gift to people who know the mythology and who know Thetis' character. I am very curious to see how Rachel is, what exactly Thetis' motivations are, because it's like, does she actually love her son and want to keep him safe? 
does she want to be proud of her son and is kind of yeah. like making him into a hero so that she can thus look better? Or is this going to make it easier for her to be the mom of a toddler? Because if she like drops him on his head, it's not going to matter if he's invincible. Oh my God. I hadn't even thought about that third one. It's probably the third one. Honestly, (laughs) Not be surprised at all. Oh my God. I mean, I really liked how Rachel has been drawing Thetis. Like in the last episode when she's on the phone with her father and she's like trying to convince him to kick loose out so that she can have the apartment. And at one point there's a scene where she's like, she's on the phone and she's reaching down to scoop her son up into her arms and it honestly did look very very motherly but very almost like the harried mother who's like dealing with all these other things and she's got to get her child up under her arm and drag him somewhere else so yeah, yeah. I did I yeah. did I love that but oh my god I just I saw that and I thought that that sign is perfection. It is. It is because it's huge. <laughs> and she's right in front of it. It just looks great. And it it matches the original myth perfectly. I mean, that's exactly, I mean, not that way, of course, but the fact that it fit in with her character so well. It's just and I do wonder if there's going to be any, like, pushback. Is, like, the security guard's going to have to tell Hades, we found some chick dunking a mortal into the river Styx. What should we do with her? At this point, I'm sure Hades is going to be like, oh, we can't do anything. You know? so. <laughs> it's like, just get her out of here. Mm-hmm. So we go back, and they're debriefing from the whole mission. And this is where Hecate basically gives a lot of the summary that we've been giving you, which kind of explained things for me, talking about, you know, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Was there anything else? And that's when you see Persephone sitting there and she's picturing in her mind the child that she saw in there. And she pauses and she says, nope, that was it. So she doesn't tell them that she saw them, which is what leads me to believe that it is some version of Hades that she saw in there. Yes, I think so. And I don't know if there's something else going on that we're not aware of, or if this is just her, she saw her husband in his literally his most vulnerable state and she doesn't want to talk about it with people who aren't Hades could be could be I automatically assume that she didn't want to tell Hades about it because he's so traumatized by what his father did to him if he knows that there's another version of himself that's still going through it I mean it'd just break him yeah it would and I do god wouldn't that be amazing I mean, it would throw so much into chaos, but the idea that the Hades we know is not the Hades, the god that was swallowed by uh, Kronos ages and ages ago. It's just some kind of clone or duplicate or something, some weird sci-fi strange thing going on. I don't know. It's just something to explain why there's a child still there and Hades walking around here. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of like the idea. I mean, I remember hearing this years and years and years ago that they said when you have like a traumatic memory, I find that it works also if you've got like an embarrassing memory, like when you're a kid and you know what I'm talking about. When you sit there and you think about something, you're like flinch and go like, oh, I'm such an idiot. And one of the things they suggest that you do is you imagine meeting that version of yourself and telling that version of yourself, seriously, it's fine. You're going to be okay. You know, whatever you got to say to that version of yourself to try and just like, to be nice to younger you. And I almost feel like that's kind of what Rachel's doing here. You know, maybe Hades will have a chance to rescue that version of himself. But there was also in several scenes in earlier episodes, that little tiny God version that like had the sheet over his head that was walking around. And sometimes I thought it was 
him like talking to his child self. But there's been so many theories for people talking about, no, I think this is a separate entity. Mm. Hard to tell. I don't know. So a lot of speculation. Yeah, a lot of speculation. But that was that was pretty much where the episode ended. I I read through some of the comments and the top one on the second episode was Fetty's dipping her baby like a tortilla chip in salsa. (laughs) So true. Oh, my goodness. And obviously beautiful art all the way through. All the way through, yeah. So we didn't get any more about Demeter, but I I feel like we're, we're working our way towards it. Um, yeah. So we got the two episodes exposition. Maybe the next two episodes we get will actually be some more story progression. Who knows? Yeah. Also, the fact that all this happened, like, I mean, last episode, I think, was the day after the wedding, these two episodes, she says something like, this is me and Hades the other night. Mm -hmm. I don't know if she's, I'm assuming she's referring to the wedding night. So it's still at most been like two days since the wedding. So I'm sure her mother is still, you know, cuckoo crazy pants. She hasn't had any time to calm down. So I don't know. But that's one of the reasons why I was kind of glad when the idea of the pomegranate seeds came up. Because what I didn't like is the idea that it's going to be Demeter who's going to do something to yank Persephone away from the underworld for a few months every year. I really hated that idea. If it's uh, an agreement that Persephone made of her own volition, sort of, even if she didn't know she was making it, that's fine. But if it's just her mother screwing her over one more time, I'm like, oh, I, I hope I, not. I hope not. I really hope not. But I also am still looking forward to the com- eventual conversation between Apollo and Artemis, or maybe yes. even... Artemis and her mother, because I have to imagine Leto's not really happy with the estrangement between her children, because she can't keep control if that happens. Yeah, but I, Leto already, I mean, there was that one scene where Leto was talking to Apollo, and Artemis was mad at Apollo, and Leto's basically just talking down like, oh, you can't treat your brother this way. I mean, it was a while ago, but I just remember Leto is clearly not on Artemis' side. Nope. So it's just irritating. Anyway, so that's all for Laura Olympus. I wanted to mention really briefly, I was watching episode nine of season one of Severance and a lot of stuff happened and it was just very exciting. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to watch the next episode. There isn't another episode. What? There's going to be another episode oh. <laughs> in 2024. 24? So. Oh my God. So I can wait a little while before I tackle this. because uh... Yeah, you should, because what this means is I'm caught up and I hate it. Why do you do this? <laughs> God. And the stupidest thing is I knew that this was the season one finale. I knew it was the finale and everything. I just thought I would go in episode one of season two. Somehow I've been living in this alternate reality where there were four seasons of Severance to watch. That's why I was not, like, saving them. I thought, oh, yeah, we're up to season four. No, it started in 2022. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. But anyway, yes, so it's a very, very good show. I have really enjoyed it. But yeah, you're not going to get any more for a while. I still need to watch season three of The Umbrella Academy because I'm almost positive the last season is coming out this year. So we got to do that. But I did finally decide to watch some actual new content, to me anyway. I watched the first episode of Ms. Marvel on Disney+. Plus. What'd you think? Oh, it's fun. I mean, it's a coming-of-age story of a 16-year-old. So I get the idea the target audience is a little younger. But I just, it's it's a good story. I mean, you've got Kamala, who is this Pakistani Muslim 
teenager growing up in Jersey City, and she is a fan's fan fan. She loves Captain Marvel, who hasn't been seen for ages, but that hasn't stopped her from following absolutely every scrap of information that she can get and making videos about her. Always daydreaming about, you know, wanting to meet her or wanting to be her, and she and her best friend Bruno are trying to get her to get the both of them actually to the big Marvel con that's going on, the big fan con for a, a sure. Captain Marvel. And, you know, she's Pakistani. So of course her parents, you know, don't want her to be wearing tight fitting clothing and they're not okay with her leaving to go to Manhattan by herself. So they're throwing up all sorts of roadblocks. And she's got an older brother who of course is doted on by the parents, but they balance all this out because her older brother, who's maybe a little stuck up, but he cares about his little sister. And he actually talks to his parents on her behalf because he wants her to be happy and have fun. So that's nice. Oh, and that is nice. her parents aren't like trying to say, oh, you need to like, you know, think about marriage and you don't really need to be taking classes because you're a girl. No, they want her to excel. And they're afraid that all of this daydreaming is getting in the way and they want to keep her safe. And her mom has this one scene where she's like, you spend all this time daydreaming and I want you to find out how you are, not who... Uh, this cosmic person is off in the universe somewhere. So, yeah, that's... Right. Yeah, but of course she finds a bracelet that belonged to her great-grandmother that's giving her superpowers. So all that's out the window for her anyway. So now she's going to be covering it up. But sure, one of my favorite things about the series is how they... Like, how they're telling the story. Because since she doodles all the time, you see exposition being given in doodles, in little animated doodles, which is always fun. And she and Bruno are riding their bikes through a Jersey City neighborhood, talking about her costume and what she can do to like, you know, do a mashup or maybe do like a steampunk or whatever. And all of the murals on the building are like animated and flowing and following them around and illustrating what the conversation is that they're talking about. So I I love stuff like that. feel like the creators are having fun with this. So I think I'm going to try to watch more of this because I know there's going to be a Captain Marvel TV series coming out soon that ties in with this. Yeah, I I need to just jump in and watch something. I mean, even if I just go in, oh, I did watch a part of the first episode of Andor and it's like surprisingly dark. Really? Like, yeah, it's a serious story. And I liked it. I liked the aesthetic. It was fun, but I, I started it pretty late. So I didn't watch all of it. And that was like four days ago. So I'm like, crap, I'm so bad at TV. Yeah, I really want to watch the latest season of Mandalorian, because Mm. I've been hearing good things about it. I'm pretty sure David wrote some complimentary things about the series. Uh, So did you. There's been a lot of people who aren't terribly happy about the fact that instead of doing Mandalorian season three right away, they did the Boba Fett series, which has story elements that tie into the Mandalorian. So everyone's like, great. So in order to understand what's going on, we have to know about a TV show that nobody wanted to watch. So that's probably being a little bit cruel. But yeah, I I didn't have any interest in watching the Boba Fett series for some reason. I I started it. I want to say it's like in the second episode and they introduce a pack of kids that he has to work with. And I'm just like, I don't care. And I literally like, (laughs) I paused. I never went back to it. It's so sad. I, I need to at least check it out, at least read a recap or something. But yeah, I've been hearing a lot of good things about Grogu's journey during uh, Mandalorian. Yeah, they actually mentioned the Mandalorian and Boba Fett on the Red Letter Media episode Nathan and I watched the other day. And they talked about the fact that the actor playing Jango Fett, who is, you know, mm-hmm. Boba Fett, uh, he's 
he's not like very action hero because he's older. So it looks yeah. kind of a little clumsy sometimes when he's fighting. But they said that they couldn't have the actual actor who played Boba Fett in um, Empire Strikes Back because he looks like a college professor. Oh. And at one point, they pulled up a shot from like um, a cut scene or something or like behind the scenes or whatever. And it's, you know, Boba Fett standing in the full costume, but he doesn't have his helmet on. And by God, the guy does look like a college professor. It's real. He's got, <laughs> he's almost got a handlebar mustache. It's really I'll interesting to see that. And I think he's also dead, but yeah, you know, I think, I think I, th- I wanted to say, I thought he wasn't with us anymore, but I don't. Know. <laughs> so that actually reminds me, speaking of red letter media, apparently they had fairly decent things to say about season three of Picard. Yeah. Nathan and I have been watching that. I think um, now as the season, season goes along, I think they got a little irritated about, okay, now we're back into a big, bad, you know, chasing after the main characters sort of storyline. But yeah, the first story arc of season three, they were very pleasantly surprised because they were so disappointed by the previous two seasons. They just did not like any of that. I mean, it's like, sorry, spoilers. Picard's a robot now? Is that something that... Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But he's like... They've given him, I don't know, he'll have the same lifespan as a human, I suppose. I don't know. It was a real dumb storyline. It was a way to like, in season one, to have a death scene with Picard, but he's not actually dead. Ha ha. Oh like, my oh, God. They, guys? they comic booked the shit out of it then, didn't they? It's like we they comic booked the shit out of it in the space of one episode. One it's episode. Like he, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like he died and then like three episodes later they brought him back. No, he died, but then he's back. And I'm like... Why, why even bother? You guys. Yeah, no, I didn't like that storyline. I, I read an article ages ago where someone like listed out the top storylines that the next generation writers wish had never happened oh, yeah, or yeah. that almost ruined the series. Like yeah. there was a whole storyline, I remember, where some scientist found out that going at like higher than warp eight or warp nine would tear holes in the universe. And mm-hmm. I think they had to be careful about that for like two episodes. And then the writers are like, yeah, this is boring. Let's not do this. Yeah. And then no. there was a storyline where... Um, okay, who was the doctor we didn't like who replaced Crusher? Polanski. Pulaski. 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 Pulaski, yeah. Where she, like, accidentally got aged by some super children's mm-hmm. immune system or something like that, and they fixed her by taking some of her unmessed with DNA and running her through the teleporter until she was yep. back to normal. And it's like, why are people not living forever if that's an option? Yeah, no, it's true. I remember they, they even said that in... Um, Oh my gosh. Was that The Last Jedi? Yeah, The Last Jedi, where they put the the ship through the Star Destroyer, hyperspace through the Star Destroyer, mm-hmm. that scene. Oh, yeah. And I remember one guy saying, this is stupid, because now everybody's going to be wondering why they don't do this all the time. And I was like, it's not stupid. It was the best part of that entire movie. It so. really was. And the reason why they don't do that often is because you just don't have a concept of how big these Star Destroyers are. You couldn't like be suiciding, you know, diving into that all the time. You wouldn't have a fleet anymore. No, no, you would not. But yeah, no, I agree. And that was, I mean, the Picard storyline is dumb. And and it's just like, if it was real, then suddenly you would have an entire new technology to explore how it affects humanity. But they're just kind of hand waving it away saying, no, 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 just don't pay attention to that. I, I kind of think there was something about like, oh, it was like a one time thing. And I'm like, of course it was, but I don't remember the reason because 
science. I don't, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It wasn't a very good storyline. I do like the fact that when you're talking about stories that they say wish they never happened, um, I love the fact that Gates McFadden has totally embraced how weird that episode was where she had sex with the lamp. She just, I think she's just <laughs> delighted. People bring it up and she just laughs and has the best return. I mean, she's active on Twitter now. So I think it's great that People will mention it, and she's, she'll make some funny comment about it. It's either her or she's got really good social media people. I guess, well, I guess that's your only two options are to be a stick in the mud about it or just laugh. Or you just have laugh. to laugh. Yeah, she just thinks it's fun. Yeah, but we're going to be watching the next episode of their summary of the Picard series, so I'll let you know if they're still relatively happy about it as it's going on. I know Hannah mentioned that there was somebody else. Was it? It was NPR. Um, oh, yes. Yes, that's exactly the um, pop, pop culture happy hour. hour. Yes, they seem to be really happy about it as well. And those guys have good taste. They really hated cats. So. <laughs> well, they were the ones that said you can watch the third season without having watched the first two seasons. And yeah, then yeah. another one said, or just don't watch the first two seasons. Yeah, no, I... It's just there are a few, a handful of good bits in the first two seasons, but just not a lot. And also, I just, I don't know, his, he's got this good friend who served with him for a while, and she keeps calling him JL. And I'm just like, well, don't do that. And <laughs> isn't everybody, like, mad at him all the time? Nah, it's less of that in the second season, thank goodness. But yeah, so, eh. <laughs> nah. But I guess that's going to wrap us up for the week. So make sure to check out PixelatedGeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries. I just got word that press registration has started for San Diego Comic-Con. I don't know. We always, we get four passes. We get six to WonderCon, but we get four to Comic-Con. I'm hoping that's the case now. I've never taken anything for granted, but... Wish us luck. I'm just going to start getting the registration process going and we can get some more cosplay photos and other good stuff from Comic-Con. And uh, speaking of fan art galleries, I saw the attempts that you did through Midjourney to try to do a picture mm-hmm. for me of Rumble. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing yeah. it's because because I didn't do one this year, but for like a couple years in a row... Every New Year's, I would draw a picture of Rumble from Transformers, like drinking something, like a cocktail yes. or something. And yes. you tried to do that. And yes, um, not even recognizable. They did not know nope. what character you were talking about, obviously. Yeah, I guess not. And what I need to look into is that you can, you know, obviously you can feed images into Midjourney in order to make something closer to what you're looking for. That's why artist stuff is getting stolen. So I don't feel comfortable about like taking some other artist's picture of Rumble mm-hmm. and feeding it in there. So I'm actually thinking I might just try and do a sketch of my own because if it had something to base it on, it might know. But yeah, at this point, you it's just a robot. And I mean, some of it, always the hands are always janky. The faces are always janky, but I can never fault the colors in this stuff. Yeah. And the one that you pointed out was interesting where... The robot was drinking a cocktail, but there was the bottle that was pouring the cocktail was just kind of floating in midair in front of it. Yeah. And I, something about that robot's face reminded me of Tarn from the Decepticon oh, yeah. Justice Division. So I thought that yeah. was like, that's interesting. But for your purposes, if you want to feed some of my rumble drawings into it, Ooh. that would be interesting as well. But you'll probably get something yes. very sketchy. Yeah, that's totally fine. I can handle that. Well, I mean, some of the prompts are like you put in the words photograph and photorealistic and everything. So maybe it would take that. And I don't know. We'll see. And in case anybody's worried, no, 
I haven't drunk the Mid-Journey Kool-Aid. I still, as an artist, it just, it really bothers me. I think it's going to put a lot of people out of work and people's work is getting stolen. But I also know that as a professional graphic designer, it's not going away, you know, and eventually it is going to be part of my job. And so I'm not going to do myself any favors if I just hide from it. And also somebody pointed out that the only way artists, like this was not created with artist participation. This was engineers created the AI technology that we have. The only way that artists can have any influence on what happens is we're going to have to participate in it. And that's just how it goes. Well, so. and there's, there's also the idea that a lot of people have made some really horrible movies using CGI and they have this idea we're using the best technology available. So the movie's going to be good. And it's just not the case. You have yeah. to have something that engages with the audience that tells a story that has a cool effect, something. And right now, a lot of the mid journey stuff coming out is kind of soulless because yeah, you really do have to have an artist behind it. So if, yeah. if the, you know, AIs can somehow replicate the human soul, well, then I think we have other problems, but for right yes, now, I, I, I don't think yeah. we're there. No, I don't think we are either. Ed, you know, I have some, seen some really beautiful mid-journey stuff, but the most beautiful stuff was done by actual artists who were able to take the images and then bring it into editing software and, you know, change the stuff that, you know, they've managed to put. I'll, I'll see if I can find a link. I found an amazing one the other day. Um, and it just, it was like a whole series of pictures of these kind of like pale figures standing in a hallway. And it was very photorealistic, but very ethereal. I'm like, that's freaking gorgeous and not a weird finger in sight. So I am sure somebody edited that. Yeah. And Nathan actually shared uh, something that uh, my friend Aaron had shared with me that was someone had done Mid Journey and it was Midsommar, but if it was uh, Pixar and oh. it's like all very cutesy and everything and they've got the flower crowns but there's really nothing to actually suggest anything from the movie because Midjourney doesn't know how to do that and Nathan was very disappointed that there was nobody wearing a bear suit yeah. so couldn't even get that right no unfortunately that's how you know it's midsummer so. <laughs> anyway all that and more pixeladygeek.com so next week we should have a Night Vale episode I think I think so yeah. and We'll each try and catch up on some TV, but we're not going to try very hard because being completely caught up on something sucks. <laughs> anyway, one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to y'all later. In the, you know, what? <laughs> so I'm going to put a little cut right here. Perfect. Cool. All right. Wherever you can insert that in. Yes. Um, and if I can't, I will do a record scratch and be like, Catherine meant Captain. Captain, Captain Marvel. Marvel yes. <laughs> <laughs>